This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of the Tom and Bob Show, where each week we discuss best practices in the field of customer experience management. I'm Tom DeWitt, Director of CXM at MSU, and I'm joined by my co-host and partner in crime, Bob Keitel, Vice President of CX of M and retired Global CX Executive with General Motors. Without further ado, let's get this show on the road. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Tom and Bob Show. I'm Tom DeWitt, and I'm joined by my partner in crime. Bob Keipel. Uh, good to see you, Bob. It's been good too to be long. Here. Um, really excited today. We're joined by Leo Chan, who is the founder and chief innovation and creativity officer. What a cool name of Abound Innovation. Um, Leo's coming to us from the north side of Toronto. Uh, and he is the former senior innovation lead at Chick-fil-A and a former innovator at State Farm Insurance. And now he's leading a bound innovation, a company that teaches organizations how to innovate. Welcome to the show, Leo. It's great Thank to have you. you here. Thank you so much, Tom. It's an honor to be here. Well, let's get into it. And uh, just as a background, could you tell us about your company and how you came to start your company, Abound Innovation? Yeah, so it's really about transforming any organization into an army of everyday innovators. And that might sound really nice, but it's really about, you know, innovation is something that maybe we're all very curious about, but maybe not necessarily know how to do. And I believe that anybody can innovate, but not everybody does. So it's my mission really is to help organizations find out the innovative potential within and then unleashing it in the organization. Because I, I feel like most, the best ideas come from inside, not from someone you hire to tell you what you should do. People see the pains and problems that they're most vested to see it in their companies. So that's what we're all about. It's helping people become innovative. And it's, it's my passion and my joy. So I really, really love doing that. Uh, how did I find found this? Well, I actually was one of the reasons was because of the pandemic. So life for us changed. I was living in Atlanta, Georgia. I thought I re- would retire with Chick-fil-A. I, I really enjoyed working for the organization a ton, but there were some family personal reasons for us to move back home to Toronto. So it kind of ended my journey quickly with them. Um, and so it was kind of a backward ways to start a company, to be honest. But um, there was this thought that if I could start a company, I may be able to then work as a vendor to Chick-fil-A. And so that's what I did. And so that opportunity did present itself. And so that's how I, I began. Uh, but my heart really is to, to help other people innovate. I, I really enjoy doing that within Chick-fil-A, but there's so many more people out there that I'd love to bring this to. And so that's what we're about now. Can I just follow up just briefly? You know, you're talking about innovation and it makes me think for whatever reason in my mind about creativity. And you mm-hmm. said everybody can be an innovator, um, but at least in my opinion, not everybody is really super creative necessarily. So what, what would you say about that? What's the difference between innovation and the need for being creative? Yeah. So I, I think they're quite synonymous in some ways. I think creativity, I call it the fuel for innovation. So that, so I can talk to you about a definition that I really like. So innovation is transforming ideas into business value. 
So to me, the ideas part is where that creativity lies. Like how do we come up with different ways of thinking about something? And so we need creativity in order to innovate because otherwise we'll just be looking at things the same way or doing things the same way and never having you know, thoughts and different thoughts about how to do that. So I think it's embedded within or underlying what we, we call innovation. But I think for adults, the word creativity may scare off some uh, because we tend to think of creativity only for the writers and the artists and the musicians and so forth, right? And so we're like, well, I'm not, that's not me, but I can innovate. Uh, at the same time, it's been interesting too, because I met people that, that I helped become innovators and they would call themselves innovators, but they didn't call themselves creative. And I'm like, oh, this is an interesting thing to discuss. I'm like, tell me more. And I think there's this misnomer about what creativity is. It's really just seeing things differently and, and having new ideas or ideas about something and, and being able to act on it. So innovation really is the acting upon those ideas and doing something with it to make it meaningful to an organization. Does that kind of help explain where oh, I think it about helps that? me because yeah. I don't know how to do any arts or any music. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I can be a creative person after all, or maybe Absolutely. I have been all these years. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So Leo, your, your firm helps organizations to innovate. Can you describe what that process entails and, and what it's designed to achieve? Yeah. So there's kind of, I would say like two major buckets. It's really, Hey, if, if my organization wants to learn how to become innovative, we're going to look at your people and then train them with both the mindsets and skill sets of innovators. So I'm really passionate about helping people be the innovator. A lot of organizations want the output of innovation, right? They always focus on the outside, but it's like, who creates those things? It's your people. So how do you equip people with the right mindsets? So that's kind of like one path in and then you know, innovation doesn't happen unless you actually do something. So what skills do I actually need to actually move the needle with project work? So it's really focusing on both of those parts of it and having workshops around both sides. And then the second aspect of a company is just like, hey, I want to actually do this innovation thing. I don't maybe necessarily have the time to train my people. I just need innovation right now. I can help organizations do innovation. And my, my specialty is in ideation. So when you have a problem that you know is a real problem, how do you generate really good ideas? So I, I was a designer prior to being an innovator. And my favorite thing to do was dream and imagine possibilities. And there's actually tons of tools and techniques that you can just use, right? A lot of people thought like me as a designer, oh, Leo's super creative. Like, how do you come up with all these ideas? I'm like, I have a disciplined approach. I'm not just <laughs> waiting for magic to happen in my brain. I'm doing things. I'm, 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 I'm setting my brain up for success. I'm using tools. And so you can use that in innovation because again, we want more better ideas. So it's a, it's kind of an art and science. Not everybody likes doing that. And we expect people to be like, it's like, Bob, Tom, I want you to think outside the box right now. Go <laughs> not going to happen. Like, but we can use tools to help get you there. So I, I, I can design workshops and facilitate meetings where we really can leverage the, the best parts of your, your folks and then, and, and use tools to get them to think better. And one of the ways to, uh, I'm sure you saw in the bio, but I'm a Lego serious play trainer and facilitator. And so that's another way in which you can utilize a methodology that you can utilize to do innovation too. And it's yeah, what is that? Like, I'm very interested in that. What is that? Yes. So Lego series play was developed by Lego HQ in the late nineties, early two thousands. Uh, the CEO at the time partnered with these really two smart, brilliant organizational psychologists, uh, in Switzerland. And, at the time, they were looking at how might we use Lego in a different way. They're, they were almost getting to their bankruptcy part um, in, their, in their history. And so they were trying to rethink how might we use Legos in, in different alternate ways. 
at the same time, they were like, we're not super happy about how to do strategic business planning. It's just not, I think the, the CEO was like, it's just not effective the way, the way they were doing it. How might we maybe use Lego? So they, they created this methodology that was incredible. And they designed it in a way to really, I mean, honestly, it came out of the need to do better strategic business planning. And they came up with this methodology that essentially you use Lego pieces and you build models out of these Lego pieces to respond to questions. That's, that's at the core. So there's Lego serious play kits out there that you cannot buy at the retail store, but they were designed for this methodology to help you uh, tell stories and use metaphor to draw deeper insights. And so I, when one really amazing statistic about Lego serious play is when we share orally with our brains, we use about 15% of our brain. When you build with two hands, you engage up to 80% of your brain. So you're li literally using more brain cells because you're, you're putting your answers into these models that you build and you get deep insights. You're tapping your subconscious. It's, it's brilliant. It's incredible. Uh, and then it's, it's 3d. So you're, you're, it's a, it appeals to all styles of learners, like visual kinesthetic and auditory. Well, you know, all of us have different ways of learning. So you get that in there. Um, you get deeper meaning, uh, you get hundred percent engagement. So you may see in most meetings, we have what's called a 2080 meeting. So 20% of the people do 80% of the talking and you don't actually know exactly what's happening in everybody's brain in the room. And you don't actually hear what they're talking, thinking about, right? Cause they're, they're just sitting there in Lego series play meetings. Everybody in the room has to respond. So if we ask the question, like, what's the strength that you bring to our team? It's not just an open, like, oh, Bob answered, but Tom didn't, that's fine. It's like, nope, everybody in the room is going to be building a, a response to that answer. So now you really are getting the collective wisdom from everybody in the room. And that is very powerful. You're not getting those side meetings that happen afterwards when people are talking about it. Everybody in the room answers. So it's a very simple process. It's five steps, really. Um, you're, it's a facilitated model. So you're posed a question by a facilitator like myself. So I could say, Bob, Tom... What's the strength that you bring to your team today? After that, you start building your response with the Lego series play kits. So you start building your response. And as you're doing that, you're adding meaning. So that's step three. You're adding meaning to what you're doing, right? So now the pieces actually mean something. It's not just these random Lego pieces. And then after you do that, you share your model with everybody in the room. So Bob, you might go first and you say, okay, hey, here's what I bring to the team. You're pointing at your model. You're discussing and showing us what it actually means and then step five is we all get a chance to kind of lean in and ask questions about the model. And so as a facilitator, I have special knowledge, if you want to call it that, but just know, I know how to ask questions about your model to really draw out those deeper insights because we, we actually will put in things into the model that comes from our subconscious. And I, I've had this happen to myself so many times where it's like, I put certain colors and in certain locations or pieces in certain locations and I actually don't even know why I did it until I'm sharing and people are asking me about, it. I'm like, Oh my goodness, it's here because of this. This is what this means. And so you have these like epiphany moments, if you will, because it's our subconscious coming into play. So it's a really interesting, really, really interesting and powerful methodology that you can use for team building, team culture, you know, innovation, design thinking, strategic business planning, you name it. You can, you can use like a serious play. That's cool. And it's obviously been around for a long time. So it's uh, something that's, you know, got some staying power. Yeah. Like. yeah. Yeah. Not well, super well known, but it's been yeah. around since the early 2000s. So that's, you know, 20 years now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to, um, I do want to tap into the Chick-fil-A just a little bit here, Leo. Um, Please. Because it's such a, you know, held up as such a great customer experience type of experience for people. 
and company and the way that companies run. Um, what's their secret? Like, why are they so well known for their customer experience? That's a broad question, but you know, what do you think? Yeah. My, my sense on that is their heart for people like Chick-fil-A is a company that cares for people. And so that translates to first the customers, they're called guests, but then also to the employees. It's just a, it's a mantra that just permeates, permeates the entire organization. So it's all about caring for whoever you're serving. Right. So it's like, I want to, and when you're, when you care about who you're serving, you want to understand what their needs are. Right. And then when you understand their needs, you build solutions to meet those needs, right? So there are constantly an, an organization that wants to learn what's the best for our guests, our customers, what pain points are they seeing? How might we solve them in different ways? How might we create new solutions? And so they see that need and then innovation is that story that enables them to do so, right? And so I think the founder, Truett Cathy, when he started Chick-fil-A, he was all about the customer and the guest and making sure they're taken care of. And so that to me is the heart of why Chick-fil-A is so successful because they care so much about people, right? I, you know, before I actually worked at Chick-fil-A, I remember, so I was at State Farm Insurance and when I was <laughs> looking around at jobs and looking for another innovation role, I found all these stories about Chick-fil-A, like, you know, there's a catastrophe that happened and, you know, that the local restaurant served food for free to people. Like you hear stuff like that and you're like, like it's, it stays with you. Um, I'll tell you the my first experience with Chick-fil-A actually was when I was in Illinois and I my wife and I went to a, a restaurant to have a meal and it was raining cats and dogs that day like cats and dogs and I was like oh no like I don't have my umbrella so we're just going to get drenched like we drove out here we're going to get drenched it's fine and to my surprise one of their team members came out and literally walked us in with an umbrella both of us so we walked in like bone dry and I was stunned because I've never actually had that experience in my life. Like nobody's ever came out of a whatever, held an umbrella for me and walked me in. But I was like, certainly not a fast food restaurant. Like I would not expect <laughs> an experience like that. Maybe if I was at a five-star hotel or something, maybe, right? But not at a fast food restaurant. And it wasn't like I was prompting to have someone to protect me from the rain. I just thought I'd get drenched. And so that stuck with me. And they also did the same when we left, like held the umbrella, walked us back to our cars. And I was just like, what is this company, right? I think that's why like that customer experience is so important to, to everybody in the organization that it really shines through because you feel cared for. And, and I, think that's, I think that's why Chick-fil-A is, is so well known for it. Well, building on that, um, you know, because your, your story, I think what, and what really fascinates me is how their culture is trickled down to the unit level. You know, it's one yeah. thing to be at the corporate headquarters to be in, but to be in a franchisee operation and and see the same attitude and behaviors is really amazing. So, can you tell us a little bit more about the Chick Fil A culture and and how you helped to uh, helped it to evolve? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like I don't say this because I work there, but I truly think Chick Fil A is a company that cares. I've seen it translated so much in my years of experience with them, especially actually during the pandemic, they were like, I mean, you know, we all know this, all industries were hurting really bad, but the food industry in particular was really suffering, right? So the, the organization was suffering losses just like any other one. And we were all kind of worried about our jobs and Chick-fil-A really just, I mean, just, just to take care of our own, they're like, we are committed to all of us. Like, we're not, we're not going to fire anybody. Like we are, we're in this, like 
in, and you know they actually paused i think construction efforts and stuff to just to save you know resources and so forth because we didn't know how long that would go on and I, I, mean, I can tell you so many stories of care, but like that one to me really just spoke to so much to us because everybody didn't know what was going on, right? And so they just, I think so that that translated into every employee was like, I want to, I'm so cared for for this organization, whatever I'm doing, I want to care for whoever I'm, I'm serving, whoever I'm interacting with, right? And that translates then down to the, like to the franchisees, the operators, because the people, they're all about the people economy, right? Like when you hire really great, fantastic people, they're going to make such a difference, right? So that trickles into all their hiring decisions, the employee hiring decisions, their operator hiring decisions. And so that trickles down into when the operators are hiring team members, they they do the same thing. Like we want to hire quality people that really have a heart to care and serve people. And so I think that's that's really how that that part is. I know I've said a lot there. So I don't know if there's any kind of well, follow up there. I, I guess I would ask you, I mean, you know, it always seems to emanate from the top and, you know, that's which is awesome. Um, but even a great company like that feels like they got to keep moving mm-hmm. and keep changing and keep innovating. So how would you come in there and kind of help poke them and prod them or lead them or however you want to say that? Yeah. So I was hired to make innovation better at Chick-fil-A. That was my job, which hmm. is extremely nebulous, but it sounded really interesting to me. They're like, we're at innovation 1.0 or 2.0. How do we take it to the next level? We want someone from the outside to help us bring us there. And so I think that humility of the, the VP of innovation at the time was like, I'm, I, I want to be open to see how we can push the needle or, or move us forward. So I was this new guy from State Farm Innovation, and I joined the organization with this desire to like, how do I make this better for everybody? And one of the, one of the most interesting things about Chick-fil-A Innovation is that they, they truly believe that everybody is an innovator. So anybody, everybody that joins the organization can innovate. And I was like, what a beautiful what a beautiful thought. Like anybody in this organization is can innovate and we want you to innovate. We want you to make a difference. So then I come in with like, okay, how do I do that? Because innovation again, you know, it, it can be buzzwordy, right? Like, oh yeah, great. Everybody should innovate. But I'm like, what sure. does that actually translate to? What does that actually mean? So I just started doing all sorts of things, leaning into what the culture was like. I used the innovation process to understand what the needs and pains were. And then I started suggesting solutions. And then I was just the guy that I love innovation. So I'm like, I'm, I'm out and willing to try new things and do that. But one of the first interesting uh, things that I saw was there, they have an innovation center called Hatch. It's a 30,000 square foot facility for innovation. Never seen anything that's so big. What a commitment to innovation. And I noticed when I first joined that there wasn't a lot of foot traffic in the building. And I wondered why, because I came from State Farm, which was Cubeland. And if, if your space wasn't being used, our ad services team would be like, okay, let's put like a hundred people in here and get some workers. Right. And so I was like, what an anonymity for me coming from an organization like that to this 30,000 square foot facility with, I, I just, I think I expected a lot of foot traffic in there, but Hatch had moved locations uh, the prior year. So it was kind of off the beaten path. And it also was a place for prototyping and for collaborative work teams. So, you know, there's very specific focused use cases, right? If you're prototyping, come to Hatch, you know, you can do incredible things. If you're a specific work team that, that had kind of space there, you could come for that. But then otherwise, like, why would you else would you come there? It was a bit harder to get to if you're not prototyping or that. So I was like, what if I could create new use cases? What if I could... If we're calling everybody an innovator, how might we re-envision this space so that you can maybe learn innovation here too? So I, I had this vision of these neighborhoods where you could come in, learn about innovation, go through the space, and then do it in the same room too. So it became this kind of like 
learning educational space, but also a doing space as well, in addition to prototyping. So you could learn, like, let's just say you're dreaming, you're, you're doing a, you know, a dream session. There's a room for that. It was specifically curated to enable you for success for that. So I had this just big vision. Uh, I watched Field of Dreams when I was a kid. So I thought if you build it, they will come. And I'm like, well, if I build this, I think I can get more people excited about innovation to come and learn more. So that's one of the big projects. And I was terrified to actually pitch this to my leadership because I'm like, oh yeah, new guy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he wants to redesign this big space. Sure. Uh, so I, I sat and procrastinated on the idea for, for months until I finally said, you know what? I see a need. I, I have a plan. Uh, if I'm doing my job right, I have to say something. So, and, and I tell this story because my boss... I was totally expecting him to say no. He already had a budget in place for the following year to redesign some of the space. So budget's in place, plans are drawn, new guy trying to <laughs> disrupt things. And he was so kind because I was expecting him to be like, Leo, great, but no, not right now. He was like, this is really good. He's like, tell me more. Like, I want to learn more what you're thinking. He was so open-minded about this. And I was just shocked. And then he's like, let's take it to the VP. Let's see if he'll, let's see what he thinks. And I'm like, Really? And so I shared that with him. And then, so this is how I feel like we evolve things. It's being open-minded, it's innovation, right? Like we're open-minded to, even though possibilities or we have plans that there could always be a better way to do it. And so I think that's, that's why this culture is incredible because there's so much open-mindedness to new possibilities, new ways of doing, new ways of working and innovation as a platform to get them there. That's awesome. You've been really fortunate and also obviously yeah. very talented in, in, in contributing in these great situations. Not everybody out there listening is so lucky. Um, yeah. You know, if you put your sort of regular consumer goggles on for a second and we sort of step away from the Chick-fil-A dis- discussion just for a second. In general, what do you say, what do you think companies are regularly getting wrong when they're trying to create a good customer experience? I think it comes back to people. Like, are we really observing their, their needs, their pain points, their issues? And if we're not doing that on a regular basis, it leads to bad customer experience because let's just say, I'm thinking restaurants now, but let's just say mm-hmm. the queuing lines for drive-through or in the restaurant get really long. We could say, hey, let's just leave it that way. It is what it is. People wait in lines and whatever. It is what it is, right? Or we could think about how might we solve that pain for them to make it a better experience. Um, I remembered a commercial, and I think it was from from some sort of airline, but it really stuck to me about customer experience because it said, the commercial said something like, "The the best way we can serve people is to anticipate their needs. And it was sort of this 30 second commercial spot where I can't remember exactly, but like you could see that the need was anticipated. And I was like, this is amazing. Like this truly is what customer experience is about. It's like, we, we can speak for you what you don't even know you need and provide a solution that just solves it for you. Like right away. I think that that's what we need to do as all organizations that want to make experiences better. We need to lean in to see what our customers are saying. If we're not, if we're not even asking, we should be asking or observing and then thinking through how might we design something for them to make that situation better. Cause there's always better ways to do things, right? We're never stuck. Uh, and I think we can get stuck in like, Oh, it has to be this way because of X, Y, and Z, but it doesn't have to be. So leaning into those needs and then finding solutions and, and developing solutions and rolling them out to them. Very cool. Yeah. And if you've, if you've ever been through a Chick-fil-A drive-through, particularly during the pandemic, you can tell they've anticipated that. I mean, what, what was re- has really blown my mind over the past years to, to watch how they manage that, 
and how they've augmented their operations outside their own building in order to do it. They're meeting people where they are and where, you know, in their cars, um, but, but really, really cool. So, you know, we all know that driving innovation in a company is difficult. What frees up people to believe that management supports them in their quest to innovate? And, and how does a company make it less risky for people to do so? Yeah, I think that's a, a great question. I think there's I think there's twofold. I think your leadership needs to support innovation, right? Top down being like, hey, this is something that we value as an organization, as a company. And I think you need to encourage it as well because the, the thing with innovation is that it's disruptive and it changes things, right? And and in order to do that too, we need to be okay of making mistakes and not getting it right the first time. So the permission is really important to say, hey, we know that we want to make things different. We want to make things better. If it fails, that's okay. One of my first innovation managers at State Farm had always said to me that ideas need to reach their logical conclusions. And I loved hearing that because it doesn't say that this idea needs to succeed. He didn't also say it needs to fail. It just needs to reach its logical conclusion, which means that we need to do the due diligence to explore the possibilities of these ideas. And if it goes out to market, which we all want, amazing. If it gets paused because of maybe the organization's not ready or the customers are not ready, that's okay. If it means that we're just like, this is just not a good thing to do, that's okay too. Or if it completely flops, that's okay. And so I love that because it, it kind of gives you the, the, the drive to say like, I can explore things and it, it's okay. But I think also the way I approached it at Chick-fil-A was my boss had established relationships and innovation is an incredibly relational like field because we're changing things right so we need relationships with people so he he tackled it from top down to get top down buy-in on innovation and i was trying to do grassroots i'm like i'm a new guy nobody knows me i'm like i wonder if i can find the innovate the quiet innovators in the woodworks and i want to bring them out and and find them and get them really excited so i i did it from a sort of grassrootsy uh, approach where i started holding events just to get them interested like i would have i held ted talks uh, once a month uh, at Chick-fil-A at Hatch actually when it was built out and I did it before it was there started off with five people that were like what is what's this Leo guy doing and what's what's this all about and I would choose TED talks that were highly innovative at least from my point of view on mindsets or skill sets or things that were really kind of interesting to think about and we just have a discussion afterwards and it got up to the the highest amount of people I've ever had join was 100 plus you know, we had another TED talk and they, they joined too. And it's like these people. And I, then I would see repeat customers, right? They're like, oh, this, this stuff is interesting. Like what's Leo. And then we would talk afterwards. Right. And so I think there's, I think we expect leadership to have to like make this culture from top down. But I think there's a lot of things we can do from grassroots where we can start, you know, if one person's excited about innovation, then they're like, this guy's excited. Like maybe I can talk to him. And then they get excited. And then they're like, and then people are like, you're doing this innovation thing. So there's a lot that you can do grassroots um, <laughs> from my perspective. So, Leo, um, you know, I think it's really great to get people excited about it and generating ideas. Um, what responsibility does management have in creating a closed loop process to keep people informed of where their ideas are going? Because, you know, we, we've, we've worked for and we've talked about companies where, Everything's got to go up the ladder and get approved. And, you know, and then we never hear anything or somebody above us takes credit for the idea and makes it their own. And then it, you know, it really creates a demoralizing environment. Mm -hmm. So what, what can you do to create a, a infrastructure support system that 
really helps to maintain the energy that you're talking about creating. Yeah, I think I think a lot of that has to do with autonomy. So we have to trust that our employees can make decisions to move the needle versus I think Bob, we talked about this earlier, but just like, mm-hmm. okay, so it has to go to level one and then level two and then three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And by the end of it, you know, and then there's all these eyes on it. We have to be able to have the authority to make decisions at level. If I'm level one, then at level one, I can have the freedom to explore the idea and test it out and all that kind of stuff before it goes up all the way up there, right? Because by then that probably should be an idea that should roll out. Not if it's in its infancy where I don't even know what I don't know. And I'm trying to test it out because we can kill stuff way too fast. Um, something that when I work at State Farm Insurance that I thought we could have done better. I uh, hope they don't mind me saying this, but this was years ago. I'm sure it's changed. But we gave too much decision-making rights to out external organizations. We were the innovation team, but we would work with external partners, different departments. And sometimes I felt like we gave them too much decision rights. Like we'd go to claims and be like, hey, we're prototyping this thing. Like, it's really exciting. What do you think? And they're like, nope. And they were like, okay, nope. And we just would sunset it. But, you know, we hadn't even baked out what it would look like. There was too much ambiguity at the time for them to even know what it was like. So of course it's a knee-jerk reaction. It's like disruption, more work for me. I'm no, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we can't give that kind of authority to others. We need to have that ability to decide for ourselves, whether that's a sort of a flatter organization where it's just your manager that looks at it and be like, good. Or if you can have that authority, then I think that really frees up people to start feeling like, hey, I can move the needle on this. I'm not going to get slapped on the wrist either if I'm just working this and doing it behind the scenes kind of thing. Uh, I think that's very helpful. Well, Leo, this has been an incredible discussion. It's been great meeting you and and learning from you. Um, I hope we can have you back on the show again. I'd love to. It's a lot of fun. I really appreciate the opportunity today. And for those of you looking to learn more about Leo and the work that he's doing, go to aboundinnovation.ca. So A-B-O-U-N-D-I-N-N-O-V-A-T-I-O-N.ca. And uh, thanks again, Leo. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tom and Bob Show. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends and share it on LinkedIn and Twitter. If you have any ideas or suggestions for future podcasts, send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. After all, you're our customer. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.